Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, Paul's letter to Colossians in the New Testament. We now move from the Psalms series that we were, we were in for the beginning part of the year, and now we move to Colossians with me, and, meaning I will be preaching that. If you came in, you should have got a bulletin, and on the back of the bulletin, you have an outline of this message this morning. It probably will help you pay attention or follow along with where I'm going, but even more important, if you take Colossians and and open it up to Colossians 1. If you don't have a Bible, we invite you to take one of the black Bibles in front of you, and if you don't own one, we'd ask you to take that, write your name in it, make it your own. We'd love to give that to you. When you got the bulletin this morning, you should have got a cardstock card inside there that says upcoming sermons and sermon series. It's two-sided. On one side has kind of the chronological from May through the beginning of September, really Labor Day weekend, on who's preaching and what we're seeking to preach on, if the Lord wills. And there's two major series going on during that time. And you can see that on the other side, the sermon series, where we're going to go through a survey of Colossians in about eight weeks. It's going to take us with a few breaks. It'll bring us into July. And in between that time, there's different times where if it's Dan preaching or Jason or Mike or Jay, they'll be preaching another series on passages in Scripture on the one another passages. What does God say we are to treat one another in the Bible? And so I... I ask you to take this and you can use that to read ahead and pray. Pray for the preaching of the word. Pray for yourself. Pray for us as a congregation. Colossians chapter 1. I want to begin by asking you, how many of you read the entire letter of Colossians? All four chapters. Who read the entire letter of Colossians at least once this week? Raise it nice and high. Okay, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of Colossians readers. Okay, you can put it down. How many of you, including those that just raised their hand, at least read a verse from Colossians this week? Raise your hand. Oh, good. Okay, there's, there's a start. I'm, I would encourage you to take the letter of Colossians, and we gave a suggested Bible reading plan last week. I don't know if there's still some out there. If not, we'll provide them for you. If you text me, I'll give it to you. And I just encourage you to read slowly through Colossians each week and bathe yourself in the Word of God in Colossians as we go through. And I'll I'll ask you from time to time how you're doing on that. I do think that that will help all of us as we study God's Word in this tremendous, short, but beautiful letter. As a pastor, I am a minister of God's word. I am a declarer of good news. Good news that I hope has changed your life and is changing your life. I'm not a salesman. That's not my calling. I am a messenger of something so good that if you... if. When I really grasp how good it is, I want you to desperately know it more than any salesman had a product and said, I want you to have this product. I can imagine this. Imagine with me for a minute. um, If one of the great text giants in our culture, let's let's just say Elon Musk. Have you ever heard of him? Um, let's, Let's say he came out with a new product. And imagine it's like this. I don't have it in front of me. I take my cell phone out, my smartphone, and it's 
it looks like a smartphone, and yet it's way better than what you've ever had. And I said to you, it's light, and it's beautiful, it's unbreakable, unbreakable. It's waterproof, it's secure from all hacking, it's hyper-fast, it's instantaneous on its phone and on the internet, never requiring an update and never, ever slowing down. And say you can have a setting on there, it will not let any junk get into it. And to you, it's simple and intuitive to use, and it doesn't matter your age. You'll just come to you just a minute. Some of you say amen. It's a phone, it's a computer, it has built-in earbuds, a speaker system, hearing aid, never needs charging, the world's best camera, an x-ray machine, health monitor, <laughs> psych evaluator, <laughs> can regulate your blood pressure, I mean, not just tell it, regulate it, it's cholesterol, your blood sugar, your serotonin levels without any side effect. I guess... I guess you'd only believe this product is true if you saw it with your own eyes and you saw it changing the lives of people who are at one time a mess. If you saw it spreading from city to city and from country to country testifying that it was, it was a powerful new device. The end of all other smartphones, the life phone. Well, this passage in Colossians speaks not of a product of technology, but something far more powerful and far more wonderful and far more transforming and far more personal than any imaginary tech device. The subject of Paul's message is so powerful that it promises something that any fictional technology could never promise or deliver. It has the power to guarantee a life of purpose and fruitfulness, and a, a fruitfulness that lasts forever. It brings love to people in relationships that otherwise would be broken and bitter and violent. It removes the guilt that haunts all humankind and brings rescue from slavery and bondage to our own desires or from other people. This reality deepens the most important relationship, and that's the relationship with our maker. In fact, it makes it alive and brings un union and reconciliation. It brings a strength and a fortitude to our lives so that when all of the difficult things in our lives happen, we continue on and we don't give up. And that when difficult people come into our lives, we have a, a patience like we never had before. This thing that I'm talking about produces a joy and a gratitude that becomes part of the very fabric and disposition of our lives that ejects things like anxiety and anger and bitterness and fear that are joy killers. It has a hope that radiates in the owner of this thing that gives a confidence in life and removes the fear of death. And what I'm talking about this morning is I'm talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is what this letter is about. It says the gospel of Jesus 
Christ. And this morning, and over the next eight sermons in Colossians, I want us to see freshly, and I pray that the Spirit would cause us to take things we already knew and like it go from grainy black and white to high definition as we understand the glory of what God's doing in our lives, this new life. And for some of you, for the first time, you would take something Christianity that seems so far out there and just seemed impersonal and boring and maybe necessary so you'll go to heaven, but that's it, and become the thing that consumes your life because it transforms you. Would you read with me? I will read it and you follow along in Colossians 1, 1 through 14 is our text this morning. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brother in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. He moves to the thanksgiving. We always thank God. He's saying, me and Timothy, we thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, Colossians, since we heard that of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. That gospel came to you as indeed in the whole world it, the gospel, is bearing fruit and increasing as it, the gospel, also does among you since the day you heard it, the gospel, and understood the grace of God. The gospel is called the grace of, brings the grace of God in truth. Verse 7, just as you learned it, namely the gospel, and understood, just as you learned the gospel from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So, and so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to the glory, his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transformed, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom there we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is God's word. Yes, thanks be to God. Paul wants the Colossians to know. Because God wants you to know. This pastor who's preaching to you wants you all to know that the gospel is powerful and sufficient for all that we need to live lives we were made to live lives satisfied and secure in Christ, not in anything else. 
The gospel is powerful and sufficient. It is great and it's enough. The power and sufficiency of the gospel is the most relevant reality of your life. Nothing is more important and nothing more is needed. And everything seems to, in this world, try to lure you away or numb your mind and heart to say it's not important. The gospel. In this letter, Paul begins in writing like he typically does. He starts with those first two verses and he says, who writes it? He says, I, Paul, and in this case, he's with Timothy. And then most of the letter, he actually talks with, I did this, or I'm telling you to do this. So it's primarily Paul that's writing this letter. Timothy is with him. Possibly Timothy wrote some of it, and Paul writes the ending. He said, I write this with my own hand. But Paul is writing to a church in Colossae that had never met Paul, but because of Paul's ministry at another church in Ephesus, a man named Epaphras had traveled there most likely and heard and received the good news, this gospel, and it changed him, and he went back to his hometown in Colossae, which was an inland city in Turkey, and he shared the gospel, and lives began to be changed, and people were saved, and a church became because of that. And now Paul has heard about this church. He doesn't stop praying for this church. And he writes this letter to this church to say, I, I've heard of God's work in your life. He's going to warn them and say, now I've heard that there are some obstacles and there's some enemies to this gospel that is trying to seep in and change you or impact you. And I want to warn you of those things. And I want you to focus on the most important thing, this gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know what the gospel is? The gospel, well, is we could, if we just spent time looking at these 14 verses, we would ponder, we would see that the gospel, its source is from God. It's, the word gospel means good news. It's good news. It's not good advice. It's not you need to do certain things so God will be happy with you. It is a proclamation of news. This is a reality. What are you going to do about it? What, are you going to come to grips with it? The good news is a news declared from God. It's sourced in God. God made this news possible. He made a plan, and his plan was to redeem people from every tribe and tongue and nation, to bring them all into a people saved by his grace and mercy, rescued from the fall and from the slavery to sin. God, he says, we thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in these verses, he says, calls it the grace of God in truth they heard. And this gospel is centered in Jesus Christ. We'll see this throughout this letter. If you this week just start reading little by little, read one chapter a day maybe, or read through that plan and you'll see Jesus is central to it. And yet I... I hope we will just go way beyond just that Sunday school answer of Jesus is the answer to every question to when you say Jesus, my heart 
goes into a different place. My mind thinks more deeply and relationally in a whole different way. We'll see in this letter, Jesus Christ is all that the the gospel is centered in. His person and who he is. We're going to see that next week. And his work, what he did for us on the cross. He is a perfect man and he is the perfect God. He is the image of the invisible God. He came in obedience to the Father. He lived a perfect life so that he could die a perfect death to be a substitute for our sins and cancel the record of debt that stood against us with all its demands, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities, the demons and the powers, the accusers and the afflictors of us. He disarmed them on the cross. This Jesus rose from the dead and is the reason why we will rise from the dead. This Jesus is a king and he has a new kingdom. That's the good news. He is king and he calls all people to repent of their sins and offers them peace with God, forgiveness based on what Jesus did if they will repent and believe. The gospel is everything to us. And it accomplishes our salvation. The gospel saves sinners in whom you have forget redemption, the forgiveness of your sins. The gospel will deliver us from the domain. It has delivered us from the domain or the slavery of darkness and of sin. The gospel makes us fit or qualified to share in an inheritance. And what he is going to say here is the gospel has brought you a promise of eternal life and a hope. Your home is in heaven of which you wait a savior who's going to return. And either when you die, you'll, you'll enter his home or when he comes and takes you back, he will bring you to himself where you will eternally enjoy pleasure at his right hand, having learned in this life to put your trust in him, and that joy will go on and go on and increase forever. God intends for each of us in this life to be so preoccupied with this hope, not so that we're not any earthly good to people, no, that there's a type of preoccupation with this that frees us to not worry about accumulating pleasure and joy and comfort and security for myself because he's got that taken care of. And it frees me with a type of joy to live a different kind of loving, fruitful life of which we were made. Now, what Paul is going to say in this letter is he's going to say this gospel that is centered in God, and, or center, it's from God, it's centered in Jesus, it accomplishes our salvation and a hope in heaven, its form is it was delivered by a message. And he's going to say, Christians, don't you, you heard it from Epaphras, faithful Epaphras, who, by the way, if you read in chapter 4, oh, Epaph- read in chapter 4, if you've already read it, you'll go, Epaphras prays for you. He's always wrestling in his prayers for you because he wants to see you mature and fully developed in your spiritual walk. But he came to you and he told you this hope, this good news, and you heard it 
you learned it and you received it and it changed you. And he's saying, I want you to get preoccupied, overwhelmed, and amazed by the power and the sufficiency of this gospel. I believe with all my heart that God wants me as this pastor, but not just me as a pastor, but you as an ordinary church member, saved by God's grace, to be preoccupied, be amazed, and to never get over this gospel so that it will impact how you respond to your children, how you live about and think about the legacy that you're leading, and you're building that legacy every day of your life. As you think about marriage... As you think about your job, as you think of what school you'll attend if, you, if you're not even there, as you'll think about your future, this shapes it all. And in this, these opening verses, verses 1 through 14, I, I just want to quickly point you to what he does here as I think he highlights the power of the gospel. And in verses 3 through 8, he says, the gospel creates a testimony. Look at verses 3 through 8. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, we heard of your faith in Christ and the love that you have for all of the saints. For Paul, he heard their testimony, and when the gospel comes into our lives, it creates a testimony. I I mean, it does something so real that others observe it and say, what's different about you? Hey, I want you to hear that Ben is different. I want you to hear that Jasmine has changed. I want you to hear that she is unrecognizable. Something happens. And Paul is saying, I want you to hear that I heard from Epaphras something that you Christians are characterized by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that the testimony of your life? Would somebody be able to accuse you of being a Christian? Would they be able to say, I have learned of her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. His steadfast allegiance and confidence that Jesus is his only way and trust. And it has impacted the way he spends his time, his money, the way he treats other people. He responds to the difficulties in life, and he has the same hardships as I do, and sometimes even worse. There's something about him or her. He says, and the love that you have for all God's people. That's the word, the saints. That's just, it means God's people. You are characterized by real love for Jesus' people. When you were once selfish, you were once pagans. Most likely, this, this church in Colossae, most of them were probably pagans, unbelievers. They were non-Jews even. There's Jews now in the city of Colossae, but they were, and, and, and something happened. A testimony sprung up. And this faith and love, oh, I pray that that will grow to be true more and more. And I believe it is a testimony, and it is growing testimony in this church. Oh, that God will do that, is that we'll say there's a love for one another because of a trust in Jesus more than anything. And it's because they spring from a real hope. The hope we sang, I'm almost home. 
My life is but a vapor. I'm almost home. My life, my hope, my desires are focused on a greater reality. And he says here, your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. And where did you learn all this? When you heard the word of truth, the gospel, this gospel changed you. You heard it from Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. These Christians had an evangelist pastor who came to them. They heard it, and it changed everything. And I just want to ask, has that happened to you? What about you? Who is the Epaphras in your life that changed everything? Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a pastor or a youth pastor. Maybe it was at a camp. Maybe it was a coworker. Maybe it was someone on TV that you watched or heard on the radio, or you, you were just... You're not even sure where it came from, but maybe it was an accumulation of all these things. But has it happened in your life? Do you have a testimony? When we talk about the covenant membership of this church, we should all be praying and concerned and burdened, and we should be longing, God, would you take... Something so amazing, this gospel. And would you make it the explanation for this church? Would you make it the explanation for changed lives and men and women who went decades just so living for themselves and so in bondage to either sin or themselves and you just turn things around just like that? Would you make that the explanation for our lives? And would you do it in individual lives, all of us? And would you do it in our teenagers? And would you do it with young kids who are getting baptized? Would you do it in all of us? And would you do it into, into all of us collectively? Would you do it in a way that like, we all share in it together? And, and the world would see there's a testimony here. Something's happening here. There is an otherworldly faith in Jesus that doesn't make sense unless he's actually real. And there's a love for one another, and it sprays, it just flows out into all our relationships in our community. It's because there's a hope laid up for us in heaven. I wonder, Epaphras, who came and said, Paul, I want to tell you about these Colossians. I wonder if a pastor could say about you, you wouldn't believe the change that has come over Barb or Jesse or Riker or Emma. No other explanation than the, power's gospel, the gospel's power. They have a faith in Christ Jesus and they have a love for others. And God is the source. And to God, I give thanks. So that is a testimony. That is the testimony. And he says, it's not just the testimony of the Colossians church. It's the testimony of the entire world. That's happening in this, he says, just as this gospel has come to you, indeed the whole world, it's bearing fruit and it's increasing as it does among you since the day you heard it. He's saying the gospel is growing all over the world as it spreads across the Mediterranean all the way to Rome, where Paul is probably writing this letter. Gospel is spreading. Its testimony is everywhere. 
the gospel, this message that has changed the world, it will not stop changing the world. Jesus is the center of this gospel. He has been given all authority and all power in heaven and earth. And I want to invite you, friends, if you're here today, once again, I want to take this time to say to you, I invite you to the good news of Jesus Christ. There is a God who will someday judge all people. They will give an account for what they did with their life, whether they responded to their maker and gave thanks to him and worshiped him as they were made to do. He will call you to an account and not one of us are ready to be held accountable to God unless we accept his free and glorious and only way. And that is through Jesus Christ who came and lived a perfect life and he died the perfect death in order to be a substitute for everyone who accepts the free gift and offer that he has given to us. If you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and call upon the Lord and ask him to save you and to be your Lord and Savior, he will do it. He will change you. You will become his, his children, God's children and it changes everything. I invite you to that if you haven't done that. And it creates a testimony. The last thing I want you to see, the second half of this passage, is this, this testimony that shapes, it doesn't just, just stagnate. It grows. If you are a Christian and you had a testimony, you have a testimony from the past, you could say, this is when I got saved, and this is what God did in my life. If so, it is changing you, and it's going to change you if, you really, if it really happened. And Paul is writing to them, and he's saying, so now when I pray for all of you, when we always pray, we do not stop praying for this to happen. And there we see that in the verses 9 through 14. He says, I pray that you will be filled with the knowledge of God's will. See that? He says, I pray that when I pray for you, I pray that you'll be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And he adds to that, with all spiritual, that's the Holy Spirit's help, spiritual wisdom and understanding. So I guess what it would be good for me if I'm going to imitate Paul, I would stop here and I'll say, Father, would you take your truth, would you by your Holy Spirit, would you fill this room, every one of us with it, with a knowledge of your will, with spiritual wisdom and understanding? Now, he tells us why he wants us to have that to happen. So that all these Christians who have called upon your name will live in a manner worthy of the Lord saved you, there's a worthy way of now living. You don't earn it, but there's just a worthy and an unworthy way to live. And so that if he saved you and he's your savior and he loves you and he cares for you, you're going to want to please him so that you'll be pleasing to him in all things. This is maturing believer that say, I want to walk worthy and I want to please you. So God, fill me with this knowledge of the will now, what does Paul mean? I don't believe that Paul is saying, Father, would you help them while they're in their devotions have a trance and then have an understanding of what job they should take, what person they should marry, um, 
what city they should move to and what things they should do next in the day because they don't they just want you to give them a special revelation of your will to do all those things. That, that's not the kind of will he's talking about. I believe that in the context of this, and what Paul says in other letters is he's saying, I pray that you will be filled with a deep understanding of God's plan in salvation in the gospel, of what God has done in heaven and on earth and what he's doing because he has shown you in his word, that, and we're going to see this in this letter, that Jesus is all of God's wisdom and knowledge. Jesus, it's in a person. That you'll have a relationship with God's knowledge and you'll understand it deeply. And I'm not talking about Pastor Daniel standing up here and giving you a a theology lesson where you go book by book through the Bible or through Bible doctrines and you have all these understandings and go, now I can take a test and pass it and I understand all of it with my understanding. It is an experiential type of knowledge. Let me illustrate it this way. I heard this illustration not long ago. Tim Keller tells a story about how he had a relative who never buckled a seatbelt. How many of you have relatives that never like to buckle their seatbelt? There's not as many these days. I remember my grandpa, he never liked to buckle a seatbelt, and he would cut the seatbelts out of his car. <laughs> At least in the early days, his Cadillacs, he just cut those seatbelts out. Um, and so Tim, te- Tim tells the story, Keller tells the story about a friend, a relative, a cousin that never would buckle a seatbelt. They'd always be, come on, John, get buckled, get buckled. No, I don't want to do it. And then, okay, I'm gonna do- we're not leaving until you buckle. Okay, he'd buckle. And they'd drive. And one day, he picked him up for some lunch time, get together, and he- John got in the car and he immediately buckled his seatbelt. They didn't even ask him. And they started driving and said, hey, John, you buckled your seatbelt. You never buckle your seatbelt on your own. What happened? And he said, oh, about that. He said, I had a friend, a longtime friend. I was in the hospital just the other day, and I visited him, and he was in a horrible accident, very messed up. He didn't have his seatbelt on. Now, what happened there? And he said, he said John, did, I'm sorry to hear that. Regarding seatbelts, did you gain any new information that you didn't know before? The answer is no. He knew that it's smart to have your seatbelt on and it saves lives and saves from greater injury if you have the accident. But what happened was he had an experiential understanding and knowledge because he saw with his eyes what he hadn't seen before and it affected his living. There is to put it positively, may God help us. And I think he's saying, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and way and plan in salvation in Jesus Christ with all spiritual understanding. It's the spirit working in you. So you, so light bulbs come in your mind and your heart and you say, Jesus is different to me. I want to obey him. I need to obey him. I, my life is hidden with Christ, as we sang earlier. Christ is everything in me and for me. I need him. And what he says in the, the end of this, this section, he just says, he says, because, so I pray that you'll have this kind of understanding of Jesus and of God and his will so that things start to happen in your life. You'll, you'll see the power of the gospel working in your life. And he just says four things. I'm just going to mainly list them. 
He says, and you can, you can talk about them in your life group. I'd, I'd encourage you to pray through them and use them this week and say, God, make these a reality in my life as I grow in an understanding of you truly. He says, he says four things would be a result of you understanding his will so that you'd walk worthy and pleasing to the Lord. One is the gospel will make you a fruit-bearing Christian. He says it will be bearing fruit in every good work. God has saved you in order for you to live and bear fruit for him. That is evidence that you are really his. He has connected you to his life source, and he intends for you this week to make a difference, even just a little difference, but a difference because of his work in you to show him off to others by your caring. Moms to your children and fathers to your children and spouses to each other and you and your work, you in school, you in the relationships they have, you are called to good works. You are called to serve one another. And he says, as you seek to understand that God's desire, God's plan, the gospel will make you fruitful in every good work. And he says, secondly, in the now growing, in the now increasing in the knowledge of God. Again, think terms not of filling my head with a bunch of Bible answers. Instead, I want to know God. The gospel makes us to grow in knowing God. Do you know God? Not just know about God, but could, I mean, some of you men were reading Knowing God. Ladies, a couple years ago, read Knowing God. I encourage you, read J.I. Packer's Knowing God. And it's not just about filling your head with knowledge about God. It's knowing him personally. And those that have come to know him personally... They respond to the, the, the losses of life and the crosses in our life in a whole different way because I know him. He's got it under control. Those who know God have an energy for God and they speak certain things about God and they have changed lives because of God, because they know him. Do you want to know, do you want to increase in your knowledge of God are you just content to just kind of coast through your life? Maybe someday you'll go to the next level of spirituality of some kind, if you call it that. No, God intends for you young people in this front row, call everyone to all the way to the back where Chris is, all of you to grow in the knowledge, the personal experiential, God, help me to truly know you and your way in my life. And he says, so that you'll be empowered, this is the third one, to be empowered for endurance and patience with joy. He's saying a mark of the gospel working in your life will be fruit-bearing, one, truly knowing God, two, and having God's power so that you can not give up when things get hard and you'll be patient with people that are hard, which we all need. Because of a joy that comes in our lives through him. And lastly, he says, so that you'll be thankful people. Thankful people. Thankful from the heart. Thankful because you know that God the Father has qualified you. He qualified you. He fitted you out of 
your sin and he brought you to share into the inheritance of all the people who have ever lived who will enjoy God's favor and pleasure and mercy forevermore. And forever and ever and ever, you will enjoy his goodness, his mercy, his care, world and ages without end because of his grace. And he says, growth will happen as you learn to live a life of gratitude in this. A gratitude that says, he has rescued me from the domain of darkness and he has brought me into the kingdom of his dear son. Oh, that God would root us and establish us in this gospel. I wonder if the gospel has changed your life. Is it changing your life? Has it saved you, friend? Is it changing you? And would you, if so, would you, if it hasn't, call on the Lord today. He will save you. And if he has saved you, make verses 9 through 14 your prayer. Oh God, fill me with the knowledge of your will. And just walk through that passage. And God, so that I will become fruit bearing. And I will grow in the knowledge of God. And help me to have an endurance and patience and a thankfulness. Giving thanks to the Father. Paul is going to say in the third chapter of this letter. If you have been raised up with Christ which if you're a Christian, you have, then seek those things which are above. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things below, because your life is hidden with Christ in God. He is your knowledge. He is your wisdom. He is your life. We dreamed for just a minute. We laughed and chuckled just for a minute at the beginning about an imaginary technological device that would impact our lives, but there is nothing more transformative as this gospel, this gospel reorients everything about us and sets us to a hope that lasts forever. Oh, may God do that in us. By his grace. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would work this reality in our lives day to day. I pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ would, would increase and grow in this church and in me and in my family, my church family. For those that are visiting here this morning, may it increase in their lives. As we grow in the knowledge of you, I pray that as we conclude with this song, we would sing it as a song of rejoicing in what you have done, uh, giving thanks for you that you have, you have transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear son. In Jesus' name, amen.